Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Awesome. Lindy will be up in a minute. Um, This is Steve and Lindy. We were going to try to share the mic, but we don't share well. So if you ever, uh, early in our marriage, we would go and try to share desserts and stuff like that. It just didn't work, you know. We'd race to the middle and have a fight before we got there. So, so Lindy will come up in a minute. Yeah, good word. Just words of wisdom. So we're going to talk about evangelism. Wasn't worship great tonight? You guys, you guys, uh, it's a two-way street. It's leaders, and we're all worship leaders. When we all get the revelation that we're worship leaders, it goes to another level. When I get the revelation that me bringing my best worship changes everything, that it's not the same. And we have a call on our house to be famous for worship. But it requires you, requires you and me to, uh, to come and, and to be prepared and to have my heart prepared and get to my spot by the first strum. And to not, at first service, I just didn't get there till like the last 30 seconds. That's a waste. Our call is to be there on the first strum. And when we all get there, Together, and we all see ourselves as worship leaders. I feel like the Lord's just dropped. Like, if we'll get 300 of those kind of people, anything can happen. You bring your friend, they get saved. You bring your friend, they get healed, delivered. And uh, it feels, we have momentum in this area. So just, just lean in, turn the dial. Whatever you're doing, keep doing Try to just a little bit more. We're going to talk about evangelism tonight, okay? And three years ago, we noticed that five guest speakers in a row, without our planning it, without our scheduling it, without, it would be impossible anyway. People's schedules are so crazy. If we tried to get five evangelists in a row on our calendar, we couldn't do it. But we looked back and said, wow, they're all evangelists. It was Todd White and Sean Smith, and they're all evangelists. What? And it was as if the Lord was saying, I'm bringing evangelism to your house. You need a little help. I want to grow this. And I receive a guest speaker this way. I treat them as givers of grace. So Ephesians 4, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, they carry grace. If you read the first four or five verses of most of the books of the New Testament, Apostle Paul's talking about grace. It's just grace. And And I see them with bags of seeds, and they're slinging seeds into the congregation. And those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, those who come with hungry hearts, those who come with good soil, good soil to produce a 30, 60, 100-fold return, will receive that seed, water it, plant it, and let that gift that he or she carries get planted in you and watch it grow. Amen? Amen. So five evangelists. And we noticed it. I don't know that we knew what to do with it. Not sure we responded the way we were supposed to. We're not even sure what that was supposed to be. But the next year, we looked back and four in a row came. Evangelism isn't necessarily the strength of this church or even the Bethel movement. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Then we ran into, made a new friend. Once a year, Bill Johnson gathers 24 pastor, apostle-type 
people. And in this group was a man from Reading, England named Yinka. Reading, England. His name was Yinka. He's Nigerian. He's of royal birth line, but he was born in Scotland. So he has a Nigerian with a Scottish accent <laughs> who carries himself with a little bit of royalty. And something, he had invited an American evangelist to his church. His church is large by English standards, about 250, but not large by American standards. And the reports came in as normal people just going into the streets, sharing their faith. Three months later, 2,000 decisions for the Lord. It's pretty unusual. Got our attention. That's uh, crazy numbers. So we had befriended, befriended Yinka, and, and so we just began to talk to him. He had befriended a friend of ours, Steve Witt. Steve Witt is pastor of Bethel Cleveland. And as we got to know Steve Witt, God was making a connection with us. His wife is... Cindy, it's Steve and Cindy. We're Steve and Lindy. <laughs> their oldest daughter is Lauren. Our oldest daughter is Lauren. Their Lauren started their school of ministry. Our Lauren started our school of ministry. Their youngest son is Joshua. Our youngest son is Joshua. Our birthdays are within a few days of each other. Our churches are the same size. Our budgets are the same size. Our, you could go on and on and on. Don't have to be a prophet to say, maybe you guys should get together. And he is a prophet. But God is pulling us together. And there's a, a word in this journey of God speaking to us as a church. There's a word that Bob Jones gave. It's called the Gulliver Word. And it's actually probably got more legs and more traction than any prophetic word I've ever heard of. It was... 10, 15 years old, and if you Google Bob Jones' Gulliver Word, it's all over. And basically, uh, you know, if you're over 40, you probably know the Gulliver fairy tale, but it was a giant, and the Lilliputians, the little people, tied him down with little ropes. Lots of little people tying the giant down. There's probably a story in there. Maybe even a preach. <laughs> Little people holding you back from your dreams. Right. Holding you back with lots of little lies. Lots of little. But in Bob Jones's word, Gulliver's head is in Cleveland and his heart is in Columbus and his reproductive area is in Cincinnati and his hand is in Philadelphia his other hand is in Indianapolis, and he has a foot in Charlotte and a foot in Nashville. And as he breaks through the chains and the ropes and stands, he stands up in Atlanta. And Bob Jones's word says, "Saz goes Atlanta, so goes the South." This word is a word that won't won't go away. And God's connecting the head, Cleveland and Atlanta the base and all of us are having a heart for evangelism and we're wondering God are you going to create an evangelistic movement through each of those cities culminating in Atlanta so that's what we're believing and praying into and that's why we went to Wales we wanted to go and see, God, are you on this? What is this? We went as an ambassador for you, an emissary for you, to see, is this something for us? Is this something for our church? Is this something for our city? And so these are the languages of the Spirit. We saw something else happen in our, in our school outreaches it wasn't uncommon in an outreach to see someone get saved or a couple people get saved. But last year, 
we had four incidences where double-digit people were getting saved, 10, 15. In fact, uh, Brian, you were involved in a, one or two of those. Raise your hand, Brian. Brian was one. And, uh, you know, uh, just stories that were catching our attention. Brian, you with your family in an elevator and le- leading a young Muslim girl to the Lord or on the streets in Pine and, you know, a dozen People giving their life to Christ. The language of the Spirit. What are you doing? What are you doing in our midst? So we landed in Wales uh, July 2nd, and I'll have Lindy come up and share part of that, that trip. So y'all welcome Lindy. Here she comes. So I get, uh, last service, Steve talked about God putting out breadcrumbs as he speaks to us. Tonight, I'm going to tell you about 12 days, a feast God laid out for us. And it's for you and it's for us. And I think it's going to change our lives forever, pretty much. Yeah. Because he's moving us from glory to glory. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the trip. Just remember all what happened. He kind of laid it out to where when I got home, I kind of wrote it out and Oh, wow, I see how this kind of fits together. So the first thing we land and we drive to um, Lager, Wales. Wales, number one, is so beautiful. It's just like you imagine the beautiful uh, Cotswold houses, you know, with the rock and the thatched roofs and fields upon fields of sheep and rock walls right next to the wall. Steve drove on the left side of the road the whole time, and we lived to tell about it. It was, I mean, many times I'm sitting there going, you're almost going to hit this. He couldn't get that perspective, which I could understand. It was, it was a little nerve-wracking, but we made it with just one flat tire. But anyway, so we, we, we uh, landed and we drove to Logger, which is Evan Roberts' home. And so a week before we're going, we just kind of last minute did this. We uh, Googled, okay, we need a bed, bed and breakfast in, in uh, Logger because we want to go visit the church and all that stuff where the great Welsh revival happened. So we, we Googled, and there's Evan Roberts' house is a bed and breakfast we could stay at. So we said, let's try that. I mean, it had three rooms, so we said, that's not going to work. So we, we emailed them, and, and the guy said, oh, no, we called him. The guy said, yeah, we have a room, and actually, uh, it's Evan Roberts' bedroom if you'd like to stay there. And we went, okay, let's do that. So we could tell God was setting us up from the very beginning. So um, we go there. And we just, you know, we, we have breakfast in the little room where they used to have their prayer meetings. And we slept in his bedroom. So, okay, God, impartation, you know. We're just asking God how to do that. Then we went and visited the schoolhouse, which is next to Mariah Chapel, where they had the great revival. It broke out in the schoolhouse with the youth group and Evan. So Evan Roberts in 1904 started the great uh, Welsh revival. And 100,000 people were saved. And it was a revival of salvation and baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it was really an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. And um, it was so amazing. This, we met this old guy there, and he was so nice. He was telling us all about it. And he talked about, he wasn't there, but it's probably his dad was. But, you know, he talked about the streets were filled. As far as I could see, they couldn't get in the building. And they just dropped everything and knew they had to come to church to hear about Jesus. This is how supernatural a God we serve is. And that's why I believe we are starting to step into levels, greater levels of his supernatural glory. So that happened. Even the mules in the mines, um, they had to retrain them because all they knew were cuss words. And, and everybody was talking nice. So it was a powerful, all the bars were empty. So it was an amazing revival. So we were there just soaking in anything God wanted to pour out. And it was great. It, we didn't, you know, I didn't have any dreams and stuff, but we just said, okay, God, this is what we want. We want revival. So then after a couple of days, we take our trip and head on to Faldi Brennan, which is a retreat center. Uh, that book, The Outpouring of His Grace, if you've ever read it, um, that's a retreat center. It's kind of like Moravian Falls where the presence of God is so strong and, and pretty wonderful. So when we got there, it's on top of this mountain. So as far as the eye could see were those patchwork fields where absolutely gorgeous, and there's sheep everywhere, and, and the rock buildings, and thatch roofs, and flowers. It was beautiful, 
And they had a cross at the end of this one hill where you could go sit there by the cross and overlook, you know, for miles and miles. It was great encounter time with God. But one encounter I had, I think, changed my life. And I pray it changes all of our lives forever. Because I think impartation is such a big deal. So I was walking over to this koi pond. It was pretty big and it was really pretty, right in the little village on top of the mountain. And there were hundreds of most beautiful koi fish, you know, yellow, orange, spotted, gorgeous. And I was going, man, this is beautiful. I said, well, I'm just going to go sit in that rock over there and just have some encounter time with God. So I go over there and sit down on the level of the water. And it's a real bright day. And as I look at the water, the water's black. And a whole foot above the water are gnats flying around. And I go, this is not a good view. (laughs) You know, it was much better when I was standing up. And God told me right there, he said, see, Lindy, you are called to be seated as a son and daughter in heavenly places up here. And as you look down on the world, the people you see are beautiful. He said, this is how I see my people. I see saved and unsaved, absolutely beautiful, like beautiful koi fish. But when you sit down on the world level, when I, all I do is look at the news and see how bleak and dark society is and it's hopeless and the sinners and the gnats of demons flying around or whatever. A lot of Christians do that. But I felt like God said, Lindy, if you sit up here where you belong, where I'm calling you as a daughter of God, if you sit here and look down, this is all you're going to see. I'm so in love with these beautiful people. So that was a great encounter. So from, from, um, so Falder Brennan from there our next uh, stop was Wrexham, Wales. And this is where we had the outreach with Yinka. And Yinka is a great guy. And what he did, he had 18 outreach spots in Wales. And each spot was a little church. We had 30 at ours, so probably about 30 people at each spot. So 18 spots. And what happened in 10 days, 3,351 people were saved. Now, to let me explain Wales, this pastor told us there, he said, Last year, I went out every day to preach the gospel and share and evangelize. Two people in a year were saved. And he'd go out a long time every day. This outreach, we went out one hour a day. That's it, for 10 days. And Steve and I only went four days. And um, so that we'd get there, and they'd train us. We'd do soaking. And we had these little cards. It was just very basic, like four spiritual laws, like, you know, God loves you, has a great plan for your life. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and me both. And then uh, the wages of sin is death, or is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. You know, it was that, that quick and that fast and just this little card. See what it says right here? And that's what I would do when I shared my faith. And so when it was time for us to go out, the first day we went out and I, it was pretty much like that. I said, hey, um, you know, I was trying not to read the card, you know. <laughs> So I shared that, and the first person I talked to said, I'd love to know Jesus. I went, okay. And, and, then, and then the next person I talked to, I'd love to know Jesus. I went, whoa, okay. Now, something that's real interesting, about 20 years ago, I used to work in the pro-life clinic. And every time I worked there, everybody I talked to would get saved. It, there was a grace on it. And this is what we're noticing that God's doing now. It was like, you know, oh, you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. And I would just... I quit telling them the gospel. I said, have you ever thought about getting to know Jesus? And they would just go, yeah, that's what I want. I mean, it was that easy. And this is what I was experiencing in these outreaches. So the first day, two people get saved. The second day, one person got saved. It was great, just one hour. And the third day, we, oh, let me not miss anything here. The third day, we were still there in Wrexham, yes. Uh, I was sitting there, and I felt like this is where God starts showing us the supernatural. It had been raining, so there's not one person sitting on a bench here or there. So there's three people under the shed over there, and I said, I'm just going to go talk to all three because I'm not going to talk to one because they'll make faces at the other ones, you know, like, really, you know. So I walked over, and um, I, I said, and by this time, I'm just kind of enjoying this. And I said, hey, we're doing an outreach. Do you want to do this card with me and kind of practice on you? I mean, it was, it was literally that. And, and I, they read it, and we read it together, I mean, it was really fun and funny and exciting. And then they said, oh, we totally want to know Jesus. They got saved. And I, I'm serious. It was, but, it, but it was the grace of God on it. And it was different than, it was, 
it was different than having to go out and, and make friends for a long time. I, I feel like there's these waves of God's grace for evangelism that are coming. So the fourth day, so three people, having three people that day. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. That was easier doing three than one. It was kind of more fun. So the fourth day, we drive to the next town called Mold. Now, that's a very unfortunate name <laughs> for a town. And I think, I think the reason it's named, I, I drove into the town, my nose started going crazy. It was itching. I was sneezing the whole time, so I think that's where it got its name. <laughs> Seriously, ask Steve. It was kind of ridiculous. So anyway, we go to Mold, and we go to this little church, and we do the soaking time, and it's time to go out. And we're trying to find a parking spot, and we can have a hard time because we're going down to city center. And it's just an area about this big, an outdoor area. And we find the spot, but we're 15 minutes late. We have 45 minutes till we have to go back to the church. And so... Um, I was sitting there, and I said, there's three girls over there. And I said, I'm just going to go for it and just go do all three. And I walked over there, and, and that's, at this point, I mean, the day before, it was so much fun. I said, okay, guys, here's the deal. I'm doing outreach, and I need to practice on somebody. you mind? And they all three got saved. It was, it was amazing. So that happened. And then I looked over across the way, and there's, this is all in 45 minutes. There's these two ladies sitting there, and I walked over there, and they were older, and one lady had pancreatic cancer, and they both got saved, and I got to pray for one of them, which I'm believing she got healed, too. So that was amazing. Then, so then there's five, it's five till one. We got to go back. So we're all kind of gathering, ready to leave. And, and I look over, and there's three other girls sitting on that bench over there, and I'm going. And it was, it was kind of a weird feeling. I said, if I go talk to them, they're going to get saved. But if I don't, Probably nobody's going to tell them about Jesus. And I was, it was just like, it was that feeling that you hear a Heidi Baker goes into a village and, and she knows if they bring the deaf to her, they will get healed. And then she'll be able to share the gospel. It was that, it's this strange, I know it was a God assurance that if you talk to them, they'll get saved, that kind of thing. So I went and talked to them. And all three of them prayed the prayer and got saved. And, then, and one of the girls while I was leaving says, now I'm not quite sure, but she did pray the prayer. So in one 45-minute period, seven people get saved. And I'm just kind of goofing off. I mean, I'm having fun in the name of Jesus. But I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm not sitting there going, okay, um, the paper says, I mean, I'm just kind of, hey, will you read this with me so I don't forget it? You know, it's just very easy going, and seven people get saved. So I'm, I, I left there going, okay, we're walking back to the church. I said, God, this is supernatural. This is totally not me. This is you are moving so supernaturally, and multiplication is happening. And then we get back to the, the old church, and we find out that behind the church is this big hill that, that uh, John Wesley used to preach on. So we said, well, let's just go on up there. So we walk up the hill, and Steve and Yinka and the, another guy were walking over there, and I just, I just did this. I just stood there with my hands up, and I said, God, I couldn't even... I didn't even know what to pray. I mean, here, you know, the language of the Spirit, look how easy it is for one person to get saved. Look how easy it is for a group of person, people to get saved. I wonder how easy it was for John Wesley to preach to thousands and just say, by the way, you guys need to know Jesus, and thousand people were saved. What is God speaking to us? So from that, that was amazing. So from that um, point, uh, just happened to be the European pastor's advance going on same time. So we drove up to Harrogate, England, went back to England area, talking about a gorgeous town. We went there, and uh, some of our friends that know us and Yinka were running this pastor's advance. And there's Bill and Chris and Paul Manwaring. And I mean, it was like this homecoming feeling like, and, and, it, and then hundreds and hundreds of pastors that are all just, leaning in for the same thing. They just want Europe saved. They want America saved. They want the world to know about Jesus. And it was just this, just as we hugged on all those people, it was like, oh my goodness, God, the world is small and you are huge. God is so mighty and so supernatural how he's doing all this. And, and while we were there, this was kind of cool. It was just a, a real amazing confirmation of what had been happening. This guy named Ben Fitzgerald, he's an evangelist over there that's doing all these stadium events. I'd never heard of him, but Steve had. And Chris Valentin's up there talking about these events. 
And Steve said, we got to meet this guy afterwards. So we went over afterwards to say hello to this Ben guy. We walk up and he goes, whoa. He said, I feel the presence of God on you guys. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. I mean, God's not leaving hints. He's just speaking. Do you want this great revival? Do you want to, you've got to look from heavenly, you've got to be the sons and daughters God's calling us to be. As we look at the world, we see it with an amazing love, and it's so beautiful. And then just open our mouths and watch him get people saved. It's pretty incredible. So I came home, and, and then I had this dream the first night I was home. And it was almost like, I'll tell you the dream. So we were all there, and we're running to and fro, doing life and busyness, and we're all anxious or fearful or, you know, just sometimes how you feel in life when you're so busy and getting so much done. But, you know, there was, people were a little bit fearful. I was fearful, but we we're still doing it and getting it done kind of thing. And um, God walks up to me. He said, see this necklace? I got one after the dream. He gave me a necklace just like this. He said, it has love written on it. And he said, I'm going to put this on you. The moment I do, we're going to have a, it's going to be an exponential growth of my love in your life. See, I think this is all for you too. And, and you know, we all love God. He loves us and we love each other. But I feel like he wants us to take it to a level where I look down from heavenly places and see those koi fishes of the world and go, Oh my goodness, I love that unlovely person. I love that sinner. I love the worst of the worst kind of people that he's calling us to love like he does. And so, so he uh, put the key on and I could just feel the love of God. And he said, but now that key's on, every bit of your life of the kingdom of heaven will be accelerated. And, and Michael Maiden talked about the same thing about this acceleration that was coming here in the kingdom. So God is really speaking. So another, after I had that dream, I woke up, I said, oh my goodness, this, this thing, love, is so important in everything God's doing. And so Michael Maiden had this prophetic word about the revival, and I'll tell you more in a minute. But it was love, a revival of, he said it was a revival of fire like we've never seen before. And he said the areas would be love, devotion, great faith, miracles, and evangelism. And the bookends are love and evangelism. At least this 12-day trip, God is saying, love and evangelism. I want to supernaturally explode that in your lives. And um, that one other, yeah, I was going to tell one other dream I had about a year ago. And this goes along with the love. Um, there was this huge, vast body of water, waves, high waves, and it wasn't washing up against the shore. It was washing up to this wall that a huge drop, and some people were trying to swim it, and they were struggling. Some people were going over the wall and dying. That way, I was sitting back because I knew my turn's coming to go across that huge body of water and swim across it, and, and people were doing, trying it, not doing well, so I was about to have my turn, and Jesus walks up and puts his arm in mine, and we ride the waves, and we had fun. It was like a, as a kid on a boogie board, riding waves. And it was just, we were laughing and cutting up, riding the waves of life. And when we got across this huge body of water, we got out and we started walking down this path. And hordes of people were coming this way, but we walked against the grain, arm in arm. And then we kind of turned and went to this beautiful field, kind of one of the most beautiful fields you've ever seen, kind of like whales. <laughs> but it went on forever. But in the distance, there were thousands upon thousands of people that didn't know Jesus yet. But Jesus said, I want to introduce you to one person first. And I walked up, and there was this little boy, about 10, a little black boy with the most beautiful teeth and smile you've ever seen. And he grinned at me. He said, hello, my name is Compassion. And that was the dream. And I know God is supernaturally speaking to us in, in a trip in people getting saved in fun, silly ways, in Evan Roberts watching that great revival, in John Wesley, you know, he, in 1738, 30-something, he got saved, and they say, I was reading a little bit today, that England was in terrible shape, and he got saved, and he, he would, on his horse, go 200, he went 250,000 miles teaching the gospel, and one of the places was mold, <laughs> 
But these things, when he got up there and spoke, it was totally supernatural. This is where God's calling us to levels of love that are so supernatural, levels of evangelism that are so supernatural. You know, Michael talked about on our property, there would be this bonfire 200 feet high would be so full of the glory of God. That's you. You are the burning ones. And he said people from all over Atlanta will come to see and to say, oh, this is what, where God is. And they'll be wanting to get saved, healed, and delivered, and it'll happen because you are burning for him. And God's shown me, I bet you, prophetically speaking, there'll be a day when that field is covered with people. And when one of you or one of you will be able to stand up and say, hey, I've got this card here. Have you ever heard about Jesus? And 100 people will get saved like that because it's so supernatural what we're doing. So God is calling us to be burning ones. Our destin- the destiny on this place, on my life, on your life, is huge. It's huge. Because this great revival is coming. Bob Jones said when this rev- Gulliver revival starts, the miracles will be like, unlike anything we've ever seen before. So you've got these prophets really prophesying into this. You've got God speaking so clearly. And I'm going to let uh, Steve finish, but uh, we're going to pray for y'all when he's finished. But I love you guys. Yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, I went with an evangelist. And, uh, you know, a couple parts of the story she didn't tell when we were on that hill where John Wesley preached to that town. They gave us a little lunch and we put it in a little tin foil. They had wrapped it in tin foil. So I just kind of put it on the ground and we kind of walked over to the edge of the hill. And when we looked back, somebody walking their dog brought their dog there, and their dog peed on my lunch. <laughs> so, you know, people experience trips different ways. I just want to give the other side of the trip, like. I wanted to eat the one they didn't pee on, but she wouldn't let me. But uh, the other part of the trip she didn't share was we are at GPS, we're going to this retreat center, it's so famous, and the GPS takes us to the wrong place, and we end up in a sheep farm in the middle of nowhere. And it's, it's harvest season, so they, they hire out these three or four guys with these, these huge tractors and they'll go like 50 miles an hour they're like geared to drive on the highways and they've got these big box trucks behind them and where and where I got I started to try to turn around get out of this area and I ended up in a ditch and slashed my tire so middle of nowhere gashed the tire in the side rental car has no spare on purpose. They just don't put one in. No. I know, like they said, half the rental cars have no spare. No little tube tire, no nothing. So what's worse than a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, gashed and no spare, is when you fall in a ditch of sheep dung all over the tire. Lenny doesn't tell you this side of the story. Everybody I talked to didn't necessarily get saved. Just to make everybody feel better. 50-year-old Welch men are like, get away from me. We might as well just keep going here. I'm laying in Evan Roberts' bedroom. 
I don't feel anything. <laughs> Nothing. The European version of the presence of God at Faldi Brennan, I get there. Nothing. <laughs> and um, I'm kind of, can I just be real, vulnerable? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of frustrated, like, Spent a lot of time and money going to these places where God is just supposed to be dripping off the wall. Anybody relate? Your wife's leading everything that walks to Jesus. And <laughs> I'm chopped liver. And honestly, uh, I... The, I think uh, the Lord was, you know, he corrects the sons he loves. And he was, there was an area of my life that wasn't glistening with hope. We talk about that. Any area of my life not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. And if we'll let that settle Sometimes there's an area. There's an area of disappointment or lack of faith. or It's not glistening with hope right now. And somehow picked up a book by E.M. Bounds in this trip, and he's a prayer warrior. And I'm reading this guy's prayer life, and, you know, it's so amazing. I almost don't feel saved. <laughs> And I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will, you know, be empathetic and kind and wrap his arms around me, but not this time. He's like, if you'll become a man of prayer like that, like that guy, become a burning one, quit feeling sorry for yourself, self-pity. Whatever energy you're putting towards self-pity, put it to being a prayer warrior, and things might change. Ouch. <laughs> ching, ching, Lenny just led somebody else to Jesus. <laughs> so we leave these two God places and go to this little town, Wrexham, and we're going to the, this little Baptist church, and it's got 25 people at 10 o'clock in the morning. We're worship, getting ready to worship, and, you know, it's just average church, average town, average people, right? Just normal, good people. Most of them older because it's during the day, work day. I'm English, so I can say this. The English are not known for their straight teeth or their singing ability. You know, I come home like, y'all can really sing. It's beautiful. And God bless them, but they can't sing a lick. And the guy could barely play the guitar. And he hits the first drum of the first note. And the people start to sing off key. And I begin to weep. But the Holy Spirit just fell on me. And I thought, man, I was just in Bethel worship. I was just in... Evan Roberts' house, I was just in Faldy Brennan, and God touched me where they can't sing <laughs> in a little old tiny Baptist church in a little tiny town, and it's like, I don't care where you are, I can find you. You don't have to, amen? And we'll come with repentant hearts and let him deal with our hearts. 
God is doing something for us in evangelism, and I did have the opportunity to sit down on a park bench, and an 89-year-old man said, could I tell you why I'm here in Wales and shared the gospel, and would you like to receive the Lord? Yes, I'd like to receive the Lord. Who knows how many more years he had or months. And the grace of God coming. We came up to a couple on the street and some of our team had been there before and been rejected. And they had just heard news from a doctor that wasn't good and she was shaken. And Lindy and I came up and um, they rejected us again. I said, don't you feel like I came all the way from America and two people have come to share the gospel? And they said, no, it was sad. But it was God's grace even in the no. He sent two people to him in a period of 20 minutes. And we can heal the land. I just, another, a homeless man, I was sitting there, it was again five minutes to one. Didn't have much time. I almost wasn't going to share with the guy because I had to leave. He sat next to me on a park bench. I began to go through the script and quickly began, like most of the men there, telling me all the reasons he doesn't believe. And I just pulled a Lindy and kind of said, well, do you mind if I read this little thing to you? There's something powerful about the Word of God and the proclaimed gospel. And you know, at the end, he said, yeah, I would love to pray that prayer with you. See, people don't even believe their objections necessarily. They just come out of their mouth. I, I want God to enlarge the gospel, the beautiful gospel in my heart. And if he'll make it big on the inside, I'll do something on the outside. And I can't get past Isaiah 61. It's my favorite chapter in the Old Testament. And it says, when Jesus started his ministry, his inaugural address where he went into a synagogue and he opened the scroll and he began his ministry. Isaiah 61 was the scroll. And it's so beautiful. Isaiah 61.1 in New American Standard, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. How much would you pay to be a fly on the wall? Jesus opened that scroll his inaugural address, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. What did those words feel like? What kind of anointing was on those words? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. I get choked up when I read that. Like he came in his first words. His first thing was, I've come for the brokenhearted, the downcast, the ones on the wrong side of the tracks, the afflicted, the brokenhearted, the captives. I've come. God has anointed me to come for the prisoners. That's the gospel we serve. That's the king we serve. That's the king We've been worshiping tonight. And he said, I've come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It's a year of jubilee. It's a year of grace. I'm coming to proclaim a new day, a new grace. And that's what I want to grow inside of me. I want that to burn inside of me so that when I'm around someone who doesn't know the Lord, I'm compelled to go. Not to walk by. 
to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. This is our Jesus. He's the comforter. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes. Jesus came so the oil of gladness instead of mourning. This is his inaugural address. You ask why? Why did he come? This is why. The mantle of praise instead of spirit of fainting. He said, I'm gonna, I want them to be called oaks of righteousness. He said, I'm coming to the brokenhearted, but then I want them to become oaks of righteousness. That's your call. You came into the kingdom faint, a prisoner, brokenhearted, hurting, needing to be healed, afflicted. And he says, I want them to become oaks of righteousness. See, he's not going to let me wallow in self-pity or you'd wallow in self-pity or stay there. It's okay to come in as a hospital, but he wants us to come out and get healed and well and become oaks of righteousness. It's okay, but the, the goal is to become an oak of righteousness. And it doesn't stop there. The reason he wants you and me to become an oak of righteousness is the next verse. He said, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And Mike, there's one problem with a, uh, one of these kind of not having it on paper. <clears throat> I was doing so well. <laughs> the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And here's the reason. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll raise up the former devastations. And they will repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations. That's our call. That's why he came. To get the brokenhearted, become an oak of righteousness. Now you go restore a ruined city. We have a huge high calling. And this gospel that's inside of us is so special. In 2 Corinthians... 4.4, 4, if you'll go there. A beautiful verse. This is such a cool verse. In whose case the God of this world, some versions say the God of this age, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. The God of this age is the enemy. The God of this age is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The God of this age has come. He says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It's not bad or good. It's not us and them. It's we got to see and they're still blind. And that verse gives you compassion for the lost. Oh, but for the grace of God, I could be blind. Oh, but for the grace of God, you could be blind at some. And it's the, it's the light to see. It's the grace of God to see. Because the God of this age is trying to kill, steal, and destroy and keep people blind. But verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And I'm going to take you back to the last verse in chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, tomorrow, uh, you ought to just read 2 Corinthians verse 3 and 4. Three, he's talking about the old covenant, that old government of death. 
He's talking about the law and Moses. He says, even though it was the old covenant, it had this glorious beginning. It had this beautiful inauguration. Moses came off that mountain with these tablets of the word of God and his face was shining brightly. It was, it was fading, but it was shining brightly. What an inaugural, beautiful beginning. But it's still a government of death. You guys and we live in a new covenant, a government of righteousness, a government of affirmation. In chapter 3, he's talking about the difference between the old and the new and this grace that we carry. But we all, it says in verse 18, chapter 3, with unveiled face. See, the face, he had had to have his face veiled. They couldn't even look upon him. But in our covenant, our face is unveiled. He tore the veil from the top down, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. We gaze upon the Lord and glance at the other stuff. We gaze upon the Lord with an unveiled face and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We become what we gaze upon. We become like the one that we gaze upon in the mirror. We're becoming transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And in chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The Message Bible says it so beautifully. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. If you just look at me, you could miss the brightness of this beautiful gospel. We carry the precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. We carry this treasure, this perfect treasure of the perfect one. I think about my frailty. I think about other people's frailties. And I can't wait to be in the presence of perfection. What will that be like? When you think about a fallen world. I believe that Every one of us, when we're born again and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, we got 100% pure Holy Spirit, God. Not part, not, not you got to grow into it, not you got to get better. You got, you, got, you got it all. He doesn't know how to come halfway. He doesn't have to know how to come tainted. You got perfection when you got Holy Spirit. But at 17, when I walked in that little hippie church every night, junior in high school, summer, junior year, drive up my awesome hot El Camino. No one, no one inviting me. Totally unchurched kid. Little sign shalom on the door. Have no idea what that was. Don't know why I'm there. <laughs> Sitting at the very back, trying to be inconspicuous. Walking out with tears in my eyes, the Holy Spirit just on me. We carry at 17, and I got I got Jesus in me, that Holy Spirit, God in me. But there was still a lot of soul, body, mind, attitudes that needed to be transformed and still do. So we carry this perfect gospel, this treasure in earthen vessels, in clay pots that are imperfect. They're fragile. They've got dirt on them. There's a crack running down. 
It's held in imperfection, but it's perfect. I don't know why God did it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't entrust his perfect gospel to a bunch of yahoos like us. But he did it that way. And we carry this treasure to a lost and dying, a blind world. And this gospel is so beautiful. I've come to proclaim the Lord's favor. I've come to heal, save, and deliver. I've come to take your sin as far as the east and west. I've come to break you clean. I've come to make you sons and daughters. This is the gospel. Last week, I, I was, he kind of reminded me of who I was at 17. I, I was a good kid. I did oh fine in school and sports and whatever. I had a decent work ethic. but I really didn't have many, any roots or family or mentors or money. I didn't have a hope or a future. I had a lot of things I think I missed out on growing up, a lot of things I wished I'd had. And he took me 43 years later and said, look at what this gospel is doing in your life. And he just began to remind me, that's what you wanted at 17. Look what's happened. That's what you wanted at 17. Look what's happening. Look, that's another thing you desired at 17. Everything I felt I'd missed out, he's replaced two times, three times, ten times. Because he's transforming us into the image of his son. In this gospel of life and light inside of us is manifesting itself imperfectly, slowly. But we have this gospel of the perfect one, of the good, good father, of the gracious one, the one who says, I choose you and I'm going to make you a son or daughter of the king a brother of Jesus, and I'm going to extend rights to you and inheritance to you, and I'm going to love on you. You're going to be the object of my affection, and I'm going to take that kid who had almost nothing, and I'm going to begin taking you on a journey. That's who we are. That's our gospel. That's our God. And if that thing will get big in us and real, as it should be. As it gets big and gracious, we will become evangelists, ministers of reconciliation, givers of grace. It will burn in us. I see the Lord, I think we live in a time where the Lord is making his church, his bride, becoming spotless and clean and beautiful and powerful. And one of the areas he's adding is evangelism. Worship is happening. The prophetic is being added to the church. Healing is being added to the church. Mark my words, evangelism is being added to his church. Where churches, where we, it's more common, almost a weekly event that we're all leading people to the Lord. That's our heritage. That's, who we're go that's where we're going. I'm not wrong about these things. See, churches, many churches where 10, 20% of the church are all new believers. 
That would change the way it feels. You would be needed for housing and cleaning up messes, discipleship, pastoring. And it would be a constant. That's what he's doing in his church. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It's coming. In Wales, sometimes one of the questions was, you know, know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The hopelessness in the towns we were in, a lot of the people homeless, and you would have probably got the same response in Atlanta. But there was a hopelessness. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And the hopelessness I heard so many times was, well, I wish he'd get on with it. It's kind of funny, but it's a little hopeless. But we're the, we bring hope. And as a culture degrades, there's all these philosophies and reasons to cloud the gospel. But as you and I go out and proclaim the gospel, even the ones that were saying no, it's God's grace. He's giving another chance. And the gospel is being preached into the land. And it's the, God, the land is receiving the gospel. And I saw this swamp of all these different isms and excuses. And as each one, as you shared the gospel and that person said yes or no, they got out of the swamp and they got on one side of the river. And the swamp started to become a beautiful river as the children of God blessed the land and preached the gospel. And people had to let their yes be yes or their no be no. And the swamp became a river that was beautiful. You bless the land, even in the no's, grace is going out. God's grace extending to his people. So we want to, we went for you. We went on your behalf. We went with a question, is God on this thing? And we concluded that he is. And uh, so we want to bless you with everything we got. Faldy Brennan, the salvation, flat tires. No, I'll don't take that. No, it's a joke. But we want to bless you. So, would you stand? And are you in the Psalm 62? It says, "The greater our passion for more, the greater our reward." And I believe tonight God wants to impart a new level of love, so we'll have the desire to share with the lost in a new level of evangelism. Also in Psalm 62, it says, if we'll do this, I stand quietly and wait upon the one I love. Say it again. Mighty God, we wait on you. We love you. And right now, we just, we just receive more of this uh, spirit of evangelism in our lives, God. Just receive this from you. We are so grateful. We know everything about you is supernatural. And Father, we receive this new level of love, your new level of glory of your love, so that we have hearts that are for the lost and for you more and for each other more. We love you. We bless your name. Amen. Go ahead, Steve. Yes, Lord, expand my heart. For the lost, give me your eyes and your compassion. Make us into sons and daughters of the mighty one, extenders of grace and ministers of reconciliation. Let us be speakers of words of life and hands that heal. 
generous ones, shod our feet with the gospel of peace, helmets of salvation. Raise up your kingdom army, God, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, sword of the spirit in their right hand. Raise up warriors, put on the war paint, warriors with hearts as big as a lion. Warriors, not afraid to share the good news, unashamed of the grace that God's pouring through their lives. Let us be that people, God. And all the people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.